This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. Many years ago, one of the most popular films of the time, a time when families could take their children to see a new movie without reservations as to the content, was a fantasy called It's a Great Life, starring James Stewart. And that film is still showing up as reruns during the Christmas season. And in that show, an angel is sent to earth to, as the story unfolds, to earn his wings. It was unique with the message that an angel was sent to earth to help us mere mortals. But if we take the plot one step forward, perhaps it was not that much of a fantasy. Well, maybe the wings part was a little far-fetched, but there is a book that does tell about angels being sent to earth on their own special assignments. Many stories. And the book, of course, is the Bible. Probably the story that comes first to mind is an angel named Gabriel appearing to a young girl named Mary. And that was in the New Testament. And there are many stories in the Old Testament, the New Testament, with Christ coming himself to offer us eternal life if we, if we just follow some rules that we've been given. But as humans, we tend to forget our priorities seem to be diverted. We seem to focus more on the now than on eternity. So, down through the years, we've, we've been sent reminders by way of apparitions, beginning with Mary's recorded appearance to James the Greater in Spain, and then to Gregory the Wonder Worker in the first century. And most of these visits contained reminders for you and for me. They've continued because, well, we humans forget. We've got lots on our minds. We're busy people, and we have lots of distractions. Just pick up today's paper and browse through it. Do you see very much in it about God and what he has to offer? Maybe a lot of the content hasn't been inspired by above. Perhaps a lot of it has been from the other direction. Well, today I want to tell you about a message for you and for me that was given a long time ago, messages that contained a lot of promises, again, for you and for me, for all of us. It's the true story of a young girl named Gertrude whose life was lived so magnificently that today she is one of the small number of saints with the added honorary title of the Great, following her name. What distinguished her life from so many other great saints? Well, perhaps it may have been the extraordinary promises made to her for us by Christ himself. Through her life, she has been an inspiration for countless servants of God down through the centuries to the present time. And no less than St. Teresa of Avila received courage and strength from Gertrude. 
but perhaps I'm getting ahead of my story. We have to travel back in time to a small town in Germany. The year was 1256, and the village was named Eiselben. Little or nothing is known of her parents, not even their names or what they did or how they lived, and perhaps how they died, because when she was only five years of age, she was sent to the monastery of Helfte as an orphan. Now, the monastery itself represented a holy and prosperous institution focusing on devout monastic life and the encouragement of intellectual activity far ahead of its contemporaries. Perhaps one could best describe the atmosphere as one that promoted sanctity, contemplation, and living lives in the shadow of God. This was the setting to which the five-year-old Gertrude was brought. And Gertrude was placed in the care of a sister with extraordinary virtues, none the least of which were those of piety, intelligence, and virtue. Her name was Mactilda, and she later would be canonized a saint. So Providence made certain that the young child was placed in good hands. And as Gertrude grew, her charm, piety, and innocence made her a favorite of those around her. And as the years edged by, one of Gertrude's priorities was devoting herself to studying her faith and attempting to live her life in strict adherence to its teachings. In addition to her religious studies, Gertrude was eager to learn and even was adept as a grammarian, bright and interested in everything around her in addition to the Benedictine tradition. I would imagine that this lovely child of God lived every moment of her life with the desire to please God first and and to place his will as her highest priority. Well, there's no question that God sees those who follow and doubtlessly those of us who slip a little, to put it kindly. Well, after 21 years of living in the monastery and at the age of 26, Gertrude's life was to forever change. She was now a nun, but she was to receive the first of a series of visits from Christ, visits and visions that would continue for the rest of her life. It's said that Sister Matilda, who was also later canonized, as I mentioned, also received visions of Christ. But to Gertrude, devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus became the highest priority. And the wishes of Jesus, well, they were not to be ignored. Probably because of her knowledge and the education received through her early years, Gertrude, in all humility, felt it necessary to record her visionary experiences. 
and during her lifetime, the importance of these apparitions were emphasized by additional visions to other holy people living around her about the sanctity of this specially honored child of God. To prove how Gertrude was esteemed by Jesus, he gave the following message to another holy soul. She is my chosen lily, my delight and my pleasure to repose in the purity and innocence of this chaste soul. Could that statement possibly be a lesson for us today? Well, to another he said, So pleasing is this soul to me that when I am offended by men, I often enter her heart to repose. She appeases my anger and obliges my mercy to pardon for her sake an immense number of sinners. But let us take a moment and come back to the present. This was in the late 1200s. Christ speaks about being offended. Perhaps we had better fast forward to 1917, when Our Lady appeared to the three shepherd children of Fatima and gave us a message through them. Do not offend God any more, for he is already too greatly offended. If we offended him that much in 1917, what about today? That's pretty scary, isn't it? But back to Gertrude. Her first vision of Christ was on the 27th of January in 1281. And Gertrude kept a type of a diary, and though she had previously spent a great deal of time writing about grammar and the contemporary, the vision caused her to completely shift her writings from the everyday to the priority in providing theological treatises from scriptures, as well as translating and copying religious writings for the spiritual benefit of others. To the casual observer, through Gertrude's life, it seemed to be that she was living a life of just a simple Benedictine nun. She was interested in and loved everyone the same, regardless of their stature in life. She was as devoted to a beggar as she was a member of the ruling monarchy. To her, everyone was a child of God and, as such, deserved her special attention. She constantly showed charity to all, but she had a very special place in her heart for the souls that were in purgatory, and perhaps her greatest longing was a desire that all souls would be consecrated to God. While her life as a Benedictine nun carefully followed the rule of St. Benedict, she felt that she was not doing enough, certainly not worthy enough of the blessings that she was receiving. It was probably more at this time that many of the holy nuns and the holy souls living with her and near her, that they were privy to the knowledge of her visions, and many personally received brief glimpses 
to give confirmation to the blessings she was receiving. In humility, she prayed that there would be no outward manifestation of her blessings she was receiving, and and she considered herself unworthy of such magnificent happenings. Well, I think it's safe to say that our Lord could see into the depths of her soul and knew he had chosen the right person through whom he would speak to the world, or perhaps those of the world who would listen. Through her gentle humility, her life was filled with the gift of prophecy and miracles, and in what spare time she could muster, she continued to write about the faith. The writings of Gertrude were all written in Latin. The Legatus Divinae Pietatis, Herald of Divine Love, comprised five books containing the life of St. Gertrude and recording many of the favors granted her by God. That was written for her religious sisters, and it was felt that it was written with great repugnance on her part, disclosing the special favors that she had received, but she was doing so to disclose devotions Christ himself wished to be established, particularly to his sacred heart. Her writings were marked with freedom, vigor, and integrity, and according to the rule of St. Benedict. She possessed a beautiful ability to use text from Holy Scripture to comfort and enlighten those who read her writings. It's been said that our Lord raised Gertrude in a short time to a degree of perfection where the soul has no other will, no other thoughts, and no other life than Christ. It's also been written by those around her that there was a certain aura emanating from her that was unmistakable. It was an undefinable physical appearance which appeared to transform her into a mysterious, almost unreal beauty. Her daily life became like a continued supernatural event in which the illuminations she received seemed to propel her into the fathomless depths of the divinity. Frequently, while lost in ecstasy, she was counseled by Christ as well as the Blessed Virgin. It was said by her peers in the monastery that she was the recipient of conversations and visits by many of the saints, including St. John, as well as the founder of her order, St. Benedict. In addition, she confessed that several were very special to her in their council, among whom were St. Augustine, St. Agnes, St. Catherine of Alexandra, as well as St. Mary Magdalene. And through all of this, one of her greatest virtues was humility and the desire to remain anonymous. Among her strongest virtues was an unlimited confidence in God's love. She wrote, All that I have received I owe to my confidence in the gratuitous bounty of God. She wrote 
that Christ had complained of man's lack of confidence. Perhaps today that's one of the world's most dangerous shortcomings. If we can't count on God, who can we count on? This is one of the vital parts of Gertrude's message to us in our time and in our lives. Gertrude claimed that she received four graces, the first of which she called the great grace, the impression of our Lord's sacred wounds on her heart. The second grace came to her while assisting at Holy Mass. She saw a ray of light dart from the wound on the side of Christ on the cross, which proceeded to pierce her heart with the message, May the full tide of thy affection rise to me, so that all thy pleasure, thy hope, thy joy, the grief, thy fear, and every other feeling may be sustained by my love. The third grace regarded the interchange of hearts between our Lord and Gertrude. Christ saying, Thou hast granted me thy secret friendship by opening to me thy deified heart in so many ways as to be the source of all my happiness. And the fourth grace was the transforming and glorifying the infant Jesus to Gertrude's heart. As all this came to pass, she became united with Christ, and throughout her life the prayers of Gertrude were mysteriously answered. Through her special intercession, many were delivered from long and serious illnesses. Others were admonished in their dreams to disclose their troubles to her and were delivered from their afflictions. Gertrude was told that whenever anyone devoutly praises and thanks God for the graces bestowed on her, our Lord will enrich that person with similar virtues and graces. Another time, our Lord promised her that no one who had venerated her would depart this life without first having received the grace of making his life pleasing to God, and that, furthermore, he would enjoy the comfort of a special friendship with God. Perhaps one of the most important things told to Gertrude was that the secret of the divine heart of Jesus have been called the treasures, which is and has been reserved for latter times. With this pronouncement, he was making Gertrude the herald for devotion filled with his special graces. Well, it was further revealed that this heart is an altar upon which the sacrifices of the faithful, the homage of the elect, and the worship of angels is offered and on which Jesus, the eternal high priest, offers himself in sacrifice. Gertrude writes that during Matins, St. John appeared to her and during the conversation questioned her, Why have you spoken so little in the gospel of loving secrets of the heart of Jesus? Gertrude answered, 
my mission was to write of the eternal word, but the language of the blissful pulsations of the sacred heart is reserved for latter times. That this time-worn world, grown cold in such a love of God, may be warmed up by hearing of such mysteries. There is no question that God, in his own way, has his own timetable. Four centuries later, in 1673, our Lord appeared to St. Margaret Mary and showed her his divine heart, enveloped by flames and love, and said to her much the same as he did to Gertrude, My heart is so full of love for men that it can no longer contain the flames of its burning love. I must discover to men the treasures of my heart and save them from perdition. And in regard to so many apparitions of the Blessed Mother, our Lord showed Gertrude in his many visions the grandeur and dignity as well as the unfathomable esteem in which he held his Virgin Mother. He once spoke to Gertrude, as a message for us when he said, I give thee my own mother as thy protectoress. Gertrude asked him what would be most pleasing to him, and Christ answered, Place thyself before my mother, who reigns at my side, and endeavor to praise her. In her late forties, Gertrude became very ill and suffered unspeakable pain for many weeks, but still insisted on being carried to Mass every day to receive her Lord in Holy Communion. She was feeling that the end was approaching, and Gertrude, in considering her own deaths, said, O lover of my soul, I have never honored thy saints worthily. I am undeserving of their consolation in my last moments. I can expect comfort from thee alone, the sanctifier of saints. And Jesus consoled her by responding, At the hour of thy death, I myself will appear to thee with all the joys and charms of my divinity and my humanity. After a lifetime of silent infirmities, she was ready to forever join the sacred heart of Jesus, and surrounded by her sisters in Christ. They claimed that Jesus appeared to her again. This time at his right hand was his mother, and on his left, St. John and a multitude of angels. The sisters were reading the Passion, and when they pronounced the words, And bowing his head, he gave up the ghost. Jesus leaned forward toward his loving spouse and welcomed her to his kingdom, and the nuns heard a heavenly chorus. It has been written that God's reason in imparting to to so many revelations to Gertrude was to illustrate his love for mankind who had forgotten that he had given his life on the cross for them and to draw souls to his heart. He said, 
I wish these revelations to be for latter ages, the evidence of my love to draw souls to my heart. Our Lord imparted some of the greatest secrets imparted to a human being when he said of her, a pure lily with devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. Not because of Christ, not because that he was a frequent visitor, but because of her unqualified dedication and surrender to the will of God, Gertrude has the distinction of being known today as St. Gertrude the Great. And over and over, Jesus and Mary emphasized the real need for devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus was for latter times. And in a world where morality, honor, and goodness sometimes seems to be lost, and in a world where we are sometimes so busy we forget about God and what he expects of us, could we possibly be living in the latter times of which he spoke? Could we be the reason he visited St. Gertrude the Great so often, and do we pay attention, or is it just business as usual? This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.